so great to be here. All your prayers are being answered. They are. You're sitting in the middle of the miracle that you prayed for. And there's other prayers that you're praying that you've not seen yet, but the Lord's already answering them and he's already working and moving. And it's just as you were worshiping, I just felt the Lord's pleasure over your pursuit of him. In the midst of everything else, you pursued him. And he's answered your prayers because of your great love for him. It's a powerful thing. Uh, listen, I'm so thrilled to be here today. Julie and I have had just the best weekend hanging out and being uh, here in J-Bay. Uh, um, I think you've already had your reward on earth. I'm absolutely sure we're going to live in a better place in heaven than you um, because you've had all of that here and, um, and there's going to be a little shift that occurs at that point. Um, and, and it's just been, we've had a great time hanging out with DJ and Karen and getting to know Jim and Kathy has been a real pleasure. Uh, we've said at breakfast this morning, it's like we've known each other forever and it's just this amazing thing that God can do when he connects hearts together. And God connects churches together as well. And just, you know, for us audacious through liberty, feel a real connection with Waypoint. That there's something happening here that is not, not normal. It's not normal. If you think this is normal church, visit a few others. It's not normal. Because God's doing something remarkable. Uh, okay, I got to get into this. Uh, there is a timer. That's great news for you. So that's all good. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've thought about, oh, I wish I'd not done that? Like a decision that you could look back on right now and think, should never have done that. You know, I look back on the first time I took a credit card. That led to a, a little bit of pain and then a journey to getting out of it. Uh, I remember going for a run. I used to, I used to be a jogger. I used to go running. Uh, now, now I feel that the Lord has rebuked me. For that, and uh, we were living in East London, East London, England, not East London, South Africa, right? Uh, we were living in East London, and uh, and I was out jogging. It was lunchtime. I'd gone out jogging, and I got this shooting pain in my back. And we lived in a, a, a reasonably difficult area, and I genuinely thought for a minute someone had shot me. I hit the ground in agony, and then the pain was gone. And I thought that's amazing. I have been healed of a gunshot in those seconds. <laughs> And, and, I, and I kind of stood up, and I'm like, what is that, what is that? And there's, there's just nothing. And then I woke up the next morning and couldn't move. It took me six months to recover. I had a tiny little bone spur that caught on another bone. Let me tell you, that's very painful. So I had six months to recover that, and the Lord said to me, never jog again. And I've taken that word very, very seriously. There are moments that change your life. Some of them change in what feels like a terrible direction. Some of them change in what feels like a great direction. But I'm believing that this morning, that as we unpack the Word of God, that this is a moment. It's felt like a moment this morning as we've worshipped. Something's going on in the room. There's a weight of the Holy Spirit that's in the room today. And I just want to keep out of the way and let Him move. Isaiah 64 and verse 8 says this. You, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Listen, like all good theology, let me root this in the first chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, 
and the man became a living being. You have been shaped by God. Listen, you're not a, um, a factory production. You're not just a rollout like all the other rolls out that have happened. Uh, I love shoes. I absolutely love shoes. Shoes are beautiful, right? And then I discovered this, and, and, and I wish it wasn't true. I wish it wasn't true. I discovered I like expensive shoes. Like, you know, you know, you, you suddenly realize there's a massive difference between a factory shoe and a handmade shoe. And there's differences in lots of ways. One of them is price. But the other is build and comfort and style. And there's something different when you realize you are not a factory rollout. You are a handcrafted, handmade. The master craftsman has had his hands upon your life the whole of your life. He has been working and moving in you. And I want you to shift your thinking. You're not just living life. You're not just existing in life. But actually you were made on purpose, for purpose, to do what only you can do with your life. Your responsibility is knowing what that is. Too many of us get too worked up about, am I doing the right thing? Just take the next step. You've not been shaped by anyone. When it says that in Genesis 2, that the Lord formed a man, it literally means he pottered the man. The master craftsman pottered you and made you. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, and this is our verse for this morning. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Father, we pray as we unpack your word, that your word, the living word, that the sword of the spirit will pierce into our lives. It'll cut through some of the stuff that we've allowed to be there to get to the point of what it is you want to say and want to do and what you want to change, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever asked the question, how did I get here? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody have one of your kids ever asked the question, how did I get here? <laughs> We've got three children. Our eldest is 27. She's married now. And uh, our middle one is 24. She's a nurse. Um, she works in, um, in neonatal ICU. So and she, she like comes home and says, oh, yeah, I was looking after this baby today. They were like, you know, two pounds. And, you know, she doesn't have a baby on her ward that isn't that big. She loves it. I'd be a gibbering wreck. I'd be terrified and emotionally ruined every day. But she seems to thrive and love it. And then we've got a 21-year-old son uh, who's about six foot three now. And he thinks he knows it all. But I can still have him. Um, and, and with our kids growing up, we made the decision. You know, when, when, you know, the conversation, the where did I come from conversation comes. You know, the birds and the bees, right? You know, I don't know why we call it that. That's a strange thought because those two don't go together, right? We decided Julie will deal with the girls and I'll deal with the boy, right? That was our, our decision. We made that decision early on. 
So when our eldest, Julie, has to have this conversation, I'm being as vague as I can for certain people in the room, right? Julie's having this conversation with our eldest, our, our, our eldest Molly. Julie explains to her, this, this is where you came from. Molly is horrified. <laughs> horrified, and she says these exact words. She says, you mean, you mean you've done this three times? So it comes to my turn to talk to Ethan. So Ethan and I are going to have this conversation. I think I need to take him to a public space. I don't know how he's going to react. If I put him in a public space, it might be a better response than if we're in the home. So we go out for a Chinese meal. We're sitting there. I said, what do you want to eat? Ethan said, oh, I'll get chicken noodles. I said, quite okay. So he orders chicken noodles. I order whatever. I can't remember what I ordered. And we're sitting there and I, and I tell him. Now, this is a boy who has never refused food in his life. I tell him, this is where you come from. He's got fight or flight. It's kicked in. He's looking for an exit, right? <laughs> and then he looks down and he pushes his meal away. He says, Dad, I don't think I can eat anymore. <laughs> I'm like, man. Forever since, we've called that entire conversation the chicken noodle conversation. <laughs> What are you talking about? Chicken noodles. Oh, I'm talking about chicken noodles. I'm terrified of that. This, this is not what God speaks to Jeremiah about. Because he says an interesting thing here. He says, before I formed you. Oh, hello. He's not talking about what happened to you since conception. He's talking about before. You see, often we look at our lives and we look at the context of our lives and we contextualize what's happening today in everything that happened before us. And we talk about things like, you know, where my, my education, the education I have, the friends that I have, the family that I'm from, uh, the people that I live with, the context of the socioeconomic space that I grew up in. And we, we set ourselves up to go, these are the things that have shaped me to make me who I am today. So I'm from the north of England, my wife is from the south of England, that's the massive difference of accent and you can hear between the two of us. And my mum is from London, so I'm the only person in our family who wasn't born in London who's alive. Oh no, my brother, me and my brother are the only people. All of our kids are born in London, all my family's from London. And, and, and I grew up with this London mindset in the north of England and it was a culture clash. So when I went to primary school as a little kid, I had a London accent from my mum on day one. So I turned up talking really posh. Hello. How are you today? It's lovely to be here. Great to be in school. And then I came home and I went, hello, mother. How are you? Because I didn't, I wanted to fit in to the context that I found myself in. So I adjusted my life to do that. And we do. We look at where we've come from. And we wonder, we ask questions like this, how did I ever get here? Part of my role as part of working uh, for our movement of churches, Assemblies of God, so we look after just over 600 churches, just over 1,000 ministers, and part of my role is to represent our movement in Parliament. 
So I go to Parliament, uh, the British Parliament, on a pretty regular basis. I never dress like this. I'm in a suit. I turn up. I know the game's played. And I do all those things. And regularly, I think to myself, how did I get here? When you're meeting with the Prime Minister and you think, how did, how did I get here? You see, we all have those moments where we look at where we are and we look at what we went through and we wonder, what did you do there, God, to get me to this? But when God speaks to Jeremiah, Jeremiah's response when God speaks to him is actually to say this, and this is how it goes in the Hebrew, ah, sovereign Lord. Have a bit more fun when you read the Bible. Like seriously, just don't read it as a text. Read it as a conversation that is going on between people. If the Lord comes to you and tells you, I'm going to appoint you as a prophet to the nations, and you just go, oh, lovely. You fully missed the point of what he said. So Jeremiah goes, ah, 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 sovereign Lord, I am only a child. And that's the fabled cry of humanity. I am only a, insert excuse here. I'm only a northerner. Uh, I'm I'm only at this level of education. I'm only a white person. I'm only a colored person. I'm only from this part of town. I'm only from that part of town. I am only a. And we throw our reasons in. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too busy. I'm too lazy. I'm not the right color. I'm not the right gender. I'm not the right nationality. I don't have the right education level. Lord, I don't have the right socioeconomic background. And we say, I am only, and this is what is happening at that moment, only becomes the limiter on what God is speaking to you. And you put only in place in order to protect you from what you perceive as potential failure. I'm only ah, But when God speaks of himself and he's speaking to Moses, he says, I am. He doesn't give the word only because God is unlimited. He's complete and whole in and of himself. He is the I am. We're given I'm only. Or we say things to God like this, Lord, before you use me, I have to uh, grow up, learn more, maybe mature. I got to get, Lord, I got to get a little bit more mature. I got to maybe get married. Maybe that'd be important if I could get married, maybe buy a house, if I could have a house, maybe if I could have kids. Lord, when I'm financially secure, then I'll chase what you're asking me to chase. Let me position myself and get myself sorted out. When I have stopped sinning, you know, the sin that so easily entangles when I've stopped doing that then Lord you could use me Eugene Peterson said this apart from before now has little meaning now is a thin slice of who I am isolated from the rich deposits of before it can't be understood I am who I am because of everything I've been through 
But it's interesting, I don't know if it's the same here in South Africa, but in the UK, we're getting a little bit obsessed about trying to work out where we were before, before. So I can trace my family back a little bit. One of my uncles did a little bit of family history on one side of the family, and we can trace that back a little bit. But in, in England, certainly, we're getting a little obsessed with it. We have TV shows called Long Lost Families, where people try and find the family that they were once a part of. The entire point of the show is to reduce somebody to tears, either the people in it or the people watching. That's the entire point of the show. Or we have this thing called Ancestry.com, where you send off a little bit of your blood, and then they tell you where you're from. Pastor Glenn did it, our senior pastor. He did it, he sent it off, it came back, and it told him, you are 96% British. I, I laughed my head off. I said, man, that was a great spend of money. You did really well. Like, you know, I could have told you that. You could have given me half that money and I'd have told you that. So he did that and then he turned out that he was 2% Viking. Well, because the Vikings, they did a lot of traveling. Let's leave it at that, eh? That's a chicken noodle conversation if I've ever heard one. Those conversations are where we're trying to work out why am I how I am? Why do I respond the way I do? Why do I act the way I do? What is that about me? But when the Lord speaks to Jeremiah, he doesn't use the word before to talk about his ancestry. He doesn't use it to talk about his upbringing. He doesn't use it to talk about his geography. He uses it to talk about before, before. Because we get caught in the loop of time where everything we think about is to do with how time works. And so we hear before and because that's language that's about time, we track back through time. But when God talks about time, he talks about it looking in from outside time. So when he says to Jeremiah, before you're in the womb, he doesn't mean Let's talk about your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. Julie discovered, uh, not that long ago really, because it was a piece of information that somehow had slid by, that her great-grandmother is South African. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's. It's funny, isn't it? What you're actually clapping is a chicken noodle conversation. And so, our kids have fully embraced that they are South Africans. Like, they're about, you know, an eighth South African at this stage. That's where they're down to, but they are it. That is it. That is what they are. They are like, like my son. My son is absolutely determined. So, he, he meets people. He's part of our youth, young adults ministry in our church, and he meets, like, all these Nigerians, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm African too. And they're like looking at him going, are you really African? We've met your mum and dad. Like, you know, we've met them. Actually, you're, you're, my mum comes to our church. We've met your, your nana, your grandma. We've met, met her. You're African. I'm African. Because something about it has caught his attention. But there's a before before. So God speaks to Jeremiah and he says this. Before you were in a priestly family, before you were born in Anatoth, before you were part of the tribe of Benjamin, before you were Jewish, before you were Semitic, before you were even male. 
before you were in a Christian home or before you were in a non-Christian home, before your cultural heritage, before your tribe, before your people group, before all of those things, God says, I knew you. Oh, hang on. Who did you know? If I had no context, who did you know, God? No, no, I knew you. I, I, I didn't know you, the experiences you'd been through you. I know you, the person you're becoming. You see, when God speaks to us about who we are, he doesn't speak to us about what we've been through. He speaks to us about who he is making us. The Bible says that he sees the end from the beginning. That he looks through it all and says, let me talk to you about this person you are. Because this person you are, that's who I know. You ever tried to work out your life like it's a puzzle? And try, people are trying to put the pieces together and work out. It's, life is like a puzzle to be solved. But God says, no, no, I knew you. You want to solve the puzzle? Talk to the one who sees the full picture. Don't, don't try and work out the puzzle from the pieces of the past. Don't try and work out the puzzle from the problems and the pains that you've been through. Don't try and work out the puzzle from the failures and the successes you've had. Why don't we go to the one who drew the picture, the master craftsman, the one who put it all together and the one who says, I knew you. Listen, you might not, you don't know, well, I don't even know me. I haven't met the best version of me that God's already talking about and already talking to. You haven't met the best version of you. God is speaking and says, I know you. It's the same idea, you know, when someone comes and tells you a joke and about halfway through the joke, you think to yourself, I know the answer to this joke. Now, if a child's telling you the joke, you let them tell you the joke and you laugh politely. If an adult tells you the joke, we like to break in and say, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. It's much funnier when I tell it. God, when he says, I know you, is literally saying, I have the punchline of your life ready to tell you, come listen to me. Instead of chasing after working it out for ourselves, we can talk to the one who knows us fully. God says this, I make known the end from the beginning from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. He says, I know you. And then he says this to Jeremiah, I've set you apart. So I don't just know you, but I have set you apart. I don't, you may be one of these people. And if you're one of these people, we'll pray at the end and there is healing for this. You might be one of these people who eats their dinner in order of food preference. Oh, yeah? Josh. You pick the bit you like, first you eat all of that. Then the next bit, you eat, you eat that, until eventually you're left with the bit you don't like. 
and then you play with it for a while, Josh, right? Just it. you push it around. Oh, you start with the worst bit. You do need prayer. Um, right? and, 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 and it's like I watch these people. One of our kids is this. One of our, our middle ones. She is exactly like that. And I watch and I think to myself, seriously, it's like they've set apart this part of it to either endure or enjoy. When God says, I've set you apart, it means he's taken a hold of you and he's not treating you like he's treating everybody else. He's treating you consecrated, set apart. Did you ever feel like you don't fit in? It's true. It's because you've been set apart. You find yourself in a work context and you think, I don't fit in here. Why don't I fit in here? Well, it's because you've been set apart. Some of you find in your family context and you're thinking, I don't fit into this. What is going on? And God's going, it's because I've, I've set you apart. So that thing that's inside you is actually God speaking to you to talk to you about who you are because you've just been set apart. You've been consecrated. Peterson speaking again, no one enters existence as a spectator. We either take up the life we were created for or we defect from it. God says, I knew you and I set you apart. Set apart, consecrated, literally meaning saint. He's made you a saint. And here's the thing, you don't have to do anything to become a saint, he's already made you that. You don't have to prove something to get there. The moment you were born again, you were set apart for him. Ephesians tells us this, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not because of who you were born to or where you were born or what you've been through. Before all of that, he set you apart because he has a purpose and a plan for your life that only you can outwork. I knew you, I set you apart. And then it says this, I appointed you. I appointed you. There is a divine appointment for each and every one of us. The, the scary part for me is this. Before I'm even born, God has set my purpose in motion. Like, and, and I got no say in it. But if I'm choosing to give my life to him, I'm choosing to have no say in it anyway. I'm choosing to say, Lord, I'm yours. And if I'm yours, then use me however you want to use me. And we don't go to two services on a Sunday now. We're just launching our fourth service this Sunday to fit everybody into our building. So it launches today. We're glad we're here. We're doing one service and watching rugby. The Lord is speaking to us, right? So the question is not, what do we do? The question is, how do we do it? Because the option and opportunity is there. My choice is not driven 
sorry, my actions are not driven by my choices. My actions are driven by his purpose. Jeremiah, speaking again, verse 6. He lists his reasons. The Lord says to him, I knew you. I've set you apart and I have appointed you. And Jeremiah says, oh, alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. And the Lord said, do not say, I am too young. That's pretty direct. Hang on, God, let me give you my reason. And God says, no. Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. I think if God makes the statement, do not be afraid of them, it's because there's an option for fear. And there is an option for fear in every part of our followership of Jesus. Because what he's going to ask of you can ignite that inside you and you think, I can't do that. And our fear speaks. But we've got to change our language and not let our fear be the thing that drives us, but let faith be the thing that drives us. That we go back, he says, I knew you. I appointed you. I say, well, if you've done all of those things for me, my job is not to fear. I'm not to be afraid. Because if you've already worked all this out, Lord, before I was even conceived, if you've worked it all out before I was even an idea in my parents' mind, if you've worked it all out outside of time, then my job is not to be afraid of what you put in front of me. She says, don't be afraid. And then he says these wonderful words that give me great courage. For I am with you and will rescue you. Wait a minute, Lord. What do you mean, rescue? Rescue? I'm going to need rescuing? I'm going to be in circumstances and situations that are so tough, God has to rescue me? Like not just a friend, you know, and not just a wealthy friend, but you know, God says, don't worry about it. There's going to be times when it's so bad, but I'll rescue you. Like there'll be times when you think to yourself, I can't get through this because don't worry about it, I'm going to rescue you. Yeah, but Lord, I'd like to do the journey without a rescue at some point. And God says, no, 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 because I, I knew, knew you, and I've appointed you, and I have set you apart. Hang on, because where I'm going to ask you to go, you're going to need rescuing. Oh, come on, Lord. How about just, you know, just a nice job that pays more money than it should, that I can just enjoy life. You know, I'm sure that's somewhere in the Bible. You know, life, life to the full. Sometimes life to the full needs a rescue. Because you've just gone a little bit full. Full on. 
too far, beyond the norm, outside of everybody else's comfort zone, and you go in, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah, we can have a go at that. And you say, God, we're going to rescue you. We bought our building for two and a half million pounds. I don't know what that is in Rand, but it's quite a big number, I think. Two and a half million pounds. And it was a big deal for us. It was a massive deal for us. We'd never had to spend that kind of money. We'd never had to trust God for that kind of money. And we had to believe for it. We needed it in seven days because the bank decided they didn't want to give us a mortgage. So we needed it in seven days. And, that, and God came through. And we got two and a half million pounds. And we bought our building. And now it's way too small. So now we're doing four services. Well, you can't fit more than four services into a day. At least not and keep your sanity, right? So, so our only option is to get a bigger building. Well, I've got to tell you, two and a half million doesn't cut it anymore. So we need somewhere north of 18 million this time. Well, I'm telling you, Lord, you're going to need to rescue us. Like, I, I don't know anyone who's got that kind of cash spare. Well, there is one person. And I've become their friend. They don't know that yet, right? But I'm, I, I, they're my friend. And I'm getting to know them more and more through the process of stalking them on social media. We've met personally a couple of times, but now, like, I'm really their friend. That's a great picture. You look amazing. If you are not doing stuff that God needs to rescue you from, you are not living in the space that he has called you, that he knew you, that he set you apart, and that he consecrated you for. Don't be afraid. I'll rescue you. We have got to change our confession. We've got to stop saying, oh, man, I can't do that. We've got to say, Lord, I can do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. I can do it. Lord, you're asking me? If you're asking me, I can do it. Because if he's asking, it's because he knew you. It's because he set you apart. It's because he consecrated you. It's because he appointed you. If he's asking, it's because he believes in you. You might not believe in you, but God has more faith in you than you have faith in you. So suddenly something starts to shift. If you're finding things challenging right now, if you're unsure of direction or you're facing untold pressures, let me give you this quote from great missionary Hudson Taylor. He said this, there are three stages to every great work of God. First it is impossible, then it is difficult, and then it is done. Listen, if you're facing something impossible, you're in the right space. If there's something that you're looking at, you're thinking, that cannot happen. There's no way that can work out. God, that is impossible. Welcome to the journey of faith. You're right where God wants you to be. And if you're facing something that used to be impossible and now is just plain difficult, you're so close to a breakthrough. Because the only step that happens after difficult is it's actually done. That something has moved enough that you find yourself sitting... In the midst of what God wants to do. Yes. We're just trying to ignite some faith in the room this morning. To make you understand that who you are and what you're doing is the call of God upon your life. That he's asking more of you than you've ever believed of yourself. Yes. And that he's lifting the bar 
on who you are and what you do. If it's impossible, fantastic. If it's difficult, even better. Because you're so close to done. It's amazing. With this building that we need, it was impossible. We couldn't work out how to get the money. Then it seemed to get worse. And then suddenly it's become difficult. There's a route through that we'd never seen before, which means we're nearly at done. So we're getting more and more excited about the difficulty we are in because our difficulty speaks of progress. Every time someone says, no, you can't have that piece of land. Every time someone tells you, yeah, the rental, yeah, you can rent, but you can't buy. No, that's just impossible. Then it becomes difficult. Then it gets done. Jeremiah chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping with the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. The word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does? Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. The Lord decides what he does with our lives. If we're going to trust him, we've got to let him make the decisions about what he does with our lives. Sometimes we read verses like this and we go, oh Lord, yeah, just, just work on my life, Lord. You're in worship and you say, Lord, yes, just, Lord, just, just touch me. And, and we think God's touch is like, just, you know, a facial. There might be a little bit of exfoliating at the start, just, you know, deal with the the rough stuff. Pastor DJ, he, he loves a pedicure, you know, just a little bit of exfoliating, little bit, a little bit of a massage. We're like, Lord, if you're going to work on my life, just work on my shoulders, will you? Like, just, just, just loosen those. Oh, come on, Lord, just get your thumb in there. Not too hard, Jesus. Not too hard, because it's too hard. It's just painful if it's too hard. Thanks. I'm glad I opened my eyes at that moment. That would have been weird, right? <laughs> And we're trying to experience relaxation when God is trying to mold us. We're saying, Lord, just, 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 you know, smooth it out. I don't know if you've ever seen a potter working with a piece of clay. They kind of get hold of it and they pummel this thing. And then every now and again, they sort of, smack it down again and then you know really 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 I have a physio she used to be um, Arsenal Football Club's physio that woman can hurt people in a way that I don't believe is right <laughs> on two occasions I have found myself weeping lying there while she has got her elbow somewhere in the back of my leg there is something where we think it, it's, a, it's a spa day. And God's going, no, 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 no. I'm just going to beat this out of you for a little while. 
and then I'm going to mold it and I'm going to push you and I'm going to shape you. And we're saying, Lord, shape me. And it's lovely. And God's not thinking like that. We use phrases like this. Like we take Bible phrases like this. Lord, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we're like, we think it's like this, you know, like, isn't that great? Have you ever seen iron sharpening iron? Like sparks fly. You know, bits get spun off. And we're like, Lord, just mold me and make me. If we can get it into a 3-4 beat, we can get a lovely little set of movement going. Oh, Oh, hallelujah. And God's going, no, 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 no. When I'm molding and making you, it's in those moments where you're going, Lord, get me out of this. And he's going, I put you in it. Well, we were trying to believe God for a personal financial breakthrough. And we felt the Lord say to us, well, if you want a personal financial breakthrough, why don't you double tithe for a season? And we're saying, Lord, you need to understand what we said was we need more money. <laughs> like, you know, I know we couched it in personal financial breakthrough, but what we actually meant was we need more money, not less money. And the Lord said, no, no, no. If you want to believe for that, you've got to let me do something in you that don't feel comfortable, that don't feel easy that don't feel like they're just the way to go that everybody else would go. If you want something that no one else has got, you've got to go somewhere that no one else prepared to go to. So uh, we did that, and we got that, and God answered our prayer, and it shifted everything for us. We believe in God to do something remarkable here. You see, we're coming to the one who knows us. Ozzy, come jump on the keyboard. To the one who knows us, to the one who set us apart, and to the one who appointed us for purpose. Romans 9.21 says this, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? See, I think the Lord this morning is saying a waypoint church, I'm going to mold you and shape you. I'm going to work on you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to get my hands on your life. You see, we're very comfortable asking for the Lord's hand. Just, Lord, would you just touch my life? I think sometimes he touches our lives a lot stronger than the, at the touch we asked for. We, we hope for a caress. And sometimes his hand just pushes in to shift and shape and make who he's called you to be. When you close your eyes across the room, do not say, I am only. something remarkable happening in Jeffrey's Bay. There's something powerful happening. But God's looking for a people who will let him shape them. 
people put aside personal agenda and personal desire and will just say, Lord, would you use me? Lord, would you use me? And I don't know what you want to use me for and I don't know how you want to use me, but you know. And I'm going to trust you to use me how you want to use me. We're going to do two things now. Sorry, three things. Number one, I want to give you the opportunity if you've never decided to follow Jesus, never made a commitment, never given your life to him, I'd love to pray for you. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to take a moment to offer our lives back to the Lord and say, Lord, if you want to use me, I'm available. And, and I'm available without any boundaries and without any conditions. And then thirdly, I do believe the Lord wants to heal some people this morning. That this, this is a house of miracles. It's not just a house of great worship. It's not just a house of great preaching. It's a house full of justice and mercy. And it's a house of miracles. So if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you, you did once, sometime before, and you know I have fallen away from following him, with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, just so I know who I'm including in a prayer, would you just pop your hand up and say, that's me. I want to come to him either for the first time or I want to come back to him. Just want to give you a moment. Don't want you to miss the moment. So if that's you, put your hand up, then I can see it. Then I'm going to pray. That's cool. Anyone else? You're saying that's me. Father, we pray for those who've just placed a hand in the air. Lord, we pray for them to know you, to know your presence, to know your love. For them to recognize, Jesus, that you paid the price for them on the cross. That they could live in not only forgiveness, but with you as their Lord, as well as their Savior, we pray. Amen. Pop your hands down. I want to pray for that second thing now. If you're saying, Lord, you can use me. No conditions. Why don't you just stand to your feet where you are? You say, it's an act of surrender. Lord, I'm available to you. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll trust you for whatever it is. Pushing into you, Holy Spirit, right now. Before you were born, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart. And before you were born, he appointed you for purpose. There is something beautiful that happens when a church surrenders itself to the Lord. Because it becomes clay in the potter's hands 
that he can shape and he can mold and he can change. So Father, we put ourselves into your hands and we say, Lord, we're here for you. Just take a moment. You pray your own prayer. You don't need my words right now. You need your words. Just surrender yourself back to the Lord. Put yourself in his hands. Let him know. I'll do whatever you ask me. starting to speak to people some of you he's going to this is what he's talking to some of you about he's talking to a few people he's talking about places in the world that one day you'll go to that he's going to send you to for his purpose for some he's talking to you about your giving right now just challenging you about do you trust me for there to be a shift somebody's talking about some of the relationships that you have and he's saying let me mold that a little bit he's talking to some of you about ministry roles within the life of church where you've yet to play the part that he's called you to play. We just surrender to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Time has gone, so I do want to pray. I do want to believe God for some miracles this morning, for some significant supernatural moments where God touches bodies and touches minds around issues of mental health and brings breakthroughs financially. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I need a miracle. There's something I need. I realize I've not preached this, but I do feel the weight of it on me. So if that's you, you're saying, I need that. Why don't you just slide out of your chair, come stand in the front real quick, and we're going to pray. So if that's you, you need a miracle this morning. We're believing for a miracle. Jump out of your chair real quick. You're saying, that's me. Just come stand at the front. One of the team's going to pray with you. Might be a health issue, might be a finance issue, might be a relational issue, but you're saying, Lord, I need a I need a miracle. I need a miracle. Come on, just come stand here. That's great. Well done, man. All right. And then 
whoever you guys would normally have pray. Let's just start a believe. Come, come, if you come forward, just come forward a little bit more because then people can get out of the aisles. Just want to give them the space to come forward. I'm conscious I'm over time and I'm so sorry, Pastor, but let's just push this for just two minutes. We're going to pray. It's going to be quick prayers because God don't need a long prayer. He just needs a moment. Amen. And if you're not responding, then that's that's great. Don't worry about it if you're not responding. Why don't you stretch your hands towards these people and you pray where you are. If there's people you know, pray for them. Pray for them by name. Believe God's going to do something powerful. Jesus' name, miracle power. Miracle power coming upon you now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Can we as a church just stretch our hands? Father, we thank you that there's power in the blood of Jesus. That our Savior was whipped to within an inch of his life at the whipping post, but he didn't die there. That every, as every organ in his physical body was traumatized by the torture of the 39 lashes, we thank you that for every brokenness in his body there is healing, and that healing is the children's bread and is our portion because we believe in Jesus. So we speak healing in Jesus' name over everybody. We submit to God, we resist the devil, and we thank you that he flees from every financial situation, from every relational situation, from every physical infirmity. And we thank you that by the blood of Jesus, healing is ours in Jesus' name. I come against or condemnation, guilt and shame. That we will not carry any guilt or shame because we believe in the name that's above every name. We will not dilute or despair or denigrate the price that was paid on Calvary's tree. That if the Son of God, the sinless Son of God paid for our sin, not with our blood, but with His sinless blood, then we are forgiven. We are set free. We have no shame or guilt, but we walk in the power of Thy forgiveness. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We run from sin because we run to Him in Jesus' mighty name. And we will not be discouraged. We will not be depressed. We will not cower. We will not be timid, but we'll stand tall and walk 
with Him and talk with Him in pursuing Him all the days of our life. And all God's people said, come on, let's give Him a hand in the house of God. We love you so much.